For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. What is up, Wizards fans? Welcome to another Believe in Wizards podcast. I'm your host, Matt Moderno. Today, we've got a pretty good episode for you. We got accused of being a little bit too negative the last couple of weeks. I like to think that we're calling them like we see them, but uh, when there's good stuff to talk about, like the 10 and 3 start, this is a Homer podcast and we're too positive. Uh, and then when they offer bad contracts to guys, somehow we're too negative. We're, we're doing the best we can to just sort of uh, you know, just be transparent about where things are. I'm sure the podcast right before the season will be much more positive. That's what we do in the DC area. We always sort of hope for the best with how our teams will be. I remember uh, interning for for 980 and all the call-in shows the week before the season uh, were people saying that the now Washington commanders at the time were, were going to go 11 and five. And that was the running joke that every year they expected the team to go 11 and five. I think we somewhat do that with the Wizards. I've seen some, hey, this team, you know, if everybody's healthy, could they be a four seed? I, I don't know that I'm quite that positive. I do think um, somewhere in the six to 10 realm seems perfectly doable, um, you know, depending on how things shake out and, and some moves they make around the deadline. Uh, we'll talk a little bit here today about some other moves they could make to kind of finish off this offseason and, and maybe go get one more piece and, and how realistic some of those names we're hearing reported are. I've got Osmond Bega Bulls forever joining me, so we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, but we wanted this to be a glowingly positive episode. So we're going to talk about the greatest moments in Wizards history this century. So uh, this is Wizards specific moments since the turn of the century here. So the last 22 years worth, we'll talk about sort of our favorites. And then, um, you know, some some fans tweeted me uh, some, you know, some of their favorite moments. So we'll mix those in too if, if they didn't sort of make the list. I think a large number of these are going to be the things you expect, but maybe the order will be a little different or there's some things that were maybe more important to me or more important to Oz based on sort of our own, you know, personal relationship with the team at, at those times. So we'll get into that. Uh, I do have some other, other news here. If you have not seen or don't follow the show uh, on, on social media, we do have merch official uh, believe in wizards podcast merch. It, it is a little bit um, sort of self or team deprecating for the older folks who are less hip like myself the term mid means sort of underwhelming or mediocre. So our t-shirts say putting the mid in mid Atlantic with a wizard's logo it is meant to be a little tongue in cheek and a little fun. If we can't poke fun at ourselves, you know, we're, we're not doing our job here. Uh, so that applies to both this podcast and the wizards themselves, you know, just sort of middle of the road, but we're, uh, we're making the best of it. And hopefully we're still entertaining for folks. So I'll put the link to the t-shirt in the in the show episode bio here. So if you're listening to this episode already, you should have the link available to you. 
or if you go to believe.com, there's a shop and, and you can find our stuff. So there are t-shirts, red, white, blue, and gray, and there are also hoodies as well. So if you want to support the show and represent, I uh, figure that's a good way to get a little show advertising out there too. So hopefully you like it again, just meant to be kind of fun. If people like the shirts, we can um, take some suggestions for, for follow on stuff in the future here. So uh, that's definitely an option for you. So we'll, we'll get to the rest of the podcast here in a minute. As always, a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with the first to market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in game betting, props, and futures. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device and join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE, BELIEVE50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, with that, Oz is going to join me. Like I said, we're going to do our top moments in Wizards history. We'll see if, uh, you know, how long that goes. If we get enough time, we're going to do a couple of our sort of unsung heroes uh, during that time period too. So guys that weren't stars for this team, but people that we think, uh, you know, deserve a little bit more love. So we're going to do a couple kind of fun things and look back at, you know, Wizards history a little bit this summer. We've obviously got about two months until uh, real basketball is getting ready to happen again. So um, we're going to do some some things like this that are they're kind of fun. Hopefully give us some stuff to talk about. Happy to take suggestions or any guests you guys want to hear from. You know, might as well uh, give us something to, to look forward to a little bit this summer here and, and talk about some of the brighter spots. So uh, that's the attempt here today. Let us know how we did. Again, we, we do like feedback. You know, I, I mentioned that we we like a review regardless of what the review is. Hopefully that comes with constructive con- criticism. I don't like this show isn't particularly constructive. So um, if there are things you think we could be doing better specifically, um, whether that's different guests or different segments or sound effects, whatever it is, let us know that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's helpful to me at the very least here. And, and we'll do our best to kind of um, juggle the different feedback. This is one of those uh Industries, I think, where you know you you can't make everybody happy. So if we're, if we're not um, hitting your specific note or feedback, again, we're, we're trying to cater to the masses here too, and uh, you know, and be true to ourselves. So that's our nice positive, uplifting message for this episode. Let's bring in Oz here, and we'll get the countdown started. All right, I've got Oz joining me here. Oz, I I think you brought up a really good point before we were getting ready to record here about um, just. A recent Washington sports team had a uh, franchise player in their prime that was due for a big contract. And, uh, well, one team in the area chose to re-sign that player, and most of the fans were unhappy. And then another team in the area chose to trade that player off for pieces, and it (laughs) seems like most fans are unhappy. So um, is this a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation for the team? Is it two totally different situations in your mind? Help me make sense of the Juan Soto, Bradley Beal situational comparison here. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. It it is. I, w- I don't want to use say so Wizards, but but it's so DC Sports. You know yeah. that they've done. They two franchises do the opposite thing, but both are being criticized. Yep. You could make looking at the national situation. I could definitely make the case. Sure. Um, Scott Boris, just my opinion, uh, you know, based on reading some reports, but kind of like no one really knows what's going on. So you're just kind of piecing it together. Uh, Juan Soto is a generational player. He's a Scott Boris client. He was not going to sign until he hit free agency. And at that point, yeah, sure. Hey, let's outbid everyone. You're not going to outbid the Yankees. You're not going to outbid the Dodgers. 
I, look, I don't know a ton about baseball, but that's what I see, what, what, what I've taken away from the sport so far. So it made sense what they did. It just sucks because you had a 23-year-old generational player and uh, you, you're basically they didn't even have their coming off the World Series big fun season where they celebrate. Like it's just been downhill since and, and now the only player left is Victor Robles. So it's just like I understand what they did. I actually do respect their decision because I don't think they were going to be able to resign him. And unlike the Wizards, who we've criticized for not picking a lane, the Nationals very quickly off of a championship have like they probably put themselves in this position by making a few mistakes along the way. Maybe the Patrick Corbin signing the Strasburg contract extension, but they picked a lane mm-hmm. and there was less pressure on them. They could have resigned Soto if they could have. And basically been me- mediocre for year, like years, and no one would have given them much of a, much of an issue. Um, but they weren't content with that. Yeah. They were like, "No, we're not content being here. Let's go choose a direction. Let's go all in." And they really did go all in. They went. They didn't even go for older prospects. They went for young prospects, high upside, um, and they're kind of going leaning all in on that direction. Meanwhile, in Washington with the Wizards we've been waiting for them to pick that direction and they still haven't. And they're kind of still one foot in one foot out. They're taking, when they draft, they take prospects with maybe a higher floor, but not the highest ceiling to kind of fill out their bench and they're trading for other teams cast off to be their starters. So it's like, they still, you know, they don't have, they got Beal because of the whole max contract situation, how it works in the NBA with the CBA. Um, So he was definitely going to stay, but you know, they're, they still haven't really, you know, the Nats actually, they've won a title, they picked a direction, and frankly, they're going to be a contender before the Wizards are ever going to be a contender again. <laughs> to me, uh, on the teams that I've rooted for that have actually won championships, for me, that's the Ravens. Um, I give them a lot more benefit of the doubt because I don't think that they just sort of like backwardsly lucked into a championship. Like they did the right things enough to like build a winning blueprint. For me, the Nats, it's the same thing. Like I'm much more willing to give them sort of the benefit of the doubt here. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think you hit the nail on the head. The difference is Beal wanted to be here because this is where he could get the most money for Soto. He wasn't getting the most money here. So like, it's just a very different leverage perspective, but it is still just like an interesting contrast of like, well, we're just probably going to hate it if it doesn't work out perfectly for us as a fan base anyway. So (laughs) um, yeah, that, that, that's a very, so DC thing. Uh, speaking of some other name uh, young players, maybe this person is actually a better comp to Juan Soto from an age and upside perspective, but uh, it seems like Donovan Mitchell might be on the move in the NBA. Um, there's been some reporting that the Wizards are interested in that. We've heard like seven different names this offseason that the <laughs> Wizards are you know interested in. This, this was like the other year when the Lakers were like, they were really interested in this player, this player, this player. It's like, yeah, of course, every GM in the world is interested in that player. Can they reasonably get them? Probably not. Uh I think that's where the Wizards are with Mitchell. I don't see any world where Donovan Mitchell ends up a Washington Wizard, do you? No, I don't see any, any world. I, I think it's frankly just um, hilarious when I when I go onto Twitter and I see people debating, hey, you know, like you love your young players. Why wouldn't you trade them for Donovan Mitchell? And then the other side is like, why would we want two undersized shooting guards? Number one, Donovan Mitchell, like it's the NBA. You just want talent. Is Mitchell the perfect fit next to Beal? Is Mitchell the perfect superstar to acquire? No, but you want that talent upgrade. If there was actually any chance, yes, you do it. There is 0% chance 
And I'm, I'm like, I, you know, you should never say 0%, but I am willing to say 0% chance here because the Knicks own our 23 pick and we are not able to trade a first round pick until 2028. It's all leverage between Utah and New York and maybe Miami if they jump back in and if Utah likes Hero, uh, Tyler Hero. But I think the, the initial reports were, let's, let's take a quick step back. Danny Ainge is no idiot. He knows exactly what New York has. He knows all the picks that they have. So the price for them is going to be higher than the price it's going to be for other teams. But that's why he's also going to wait them out. So if he's asking for five or six first round picks right now, we can't even come underneath that and say offer four because we can't offer anything until 2028. So ultimately, the trade, I think, is going to happen between those two parties. They're just waiting each other out because there's really no deadline. And without deadlines, there's no pressure to get anything done. It's yeah, it's funny to me, like the conversation, like after Rudy Gobert signed his extension and then again in the playoffs where he kind of got played off the floor again for like the fourth consecutive postseason <laughs> is like, is Rudy Gobert untradeable? Like, is he a, an albatross contract? And then like they get all of that for him. There's no way they're taking less for Mitchell, who is right. I don't care if you say he's a six foot two shooting guard. He's a dynamic offensive player in a league that promotes dynamic offensive players with like marketing value. And he's young. Right. Uh, it, sorry. Like I, I, I know I take some pot shots at these guys. I can't help it as a Washington sports fan, but um, Rui is not getting you to Donovan Mitchell. Denny is not a piece yep. to get you to Donovan Mitchell. Kispert is not a big piece to get you Donovan Mitchell. They could be fill-ins, but yeah. the, the big pieces for them are, give me all of your picks and maybe right. some other budding young superstar. And that's what it seems like teams want. Um, there were a couple of trades like the Paul George trade, uh, mm-hmm. say Gilgis Alexander went, but that was yeah. Gilgis Alexander was still had three years of rookie control left and right. showed a lot his, his rookie season in the NBA. Um, for the most part, it seems like teams just want picks. They want that flexibility. They want to be able to tank out. They don't want to be able to stay in that mid. They want to tank out, which means, don't take as many players. And the, and the thing is, that these rookie contracts are so short, unless you're getting someone before they even suit up or after year one, do you really want a second or third year guy they're going to be doing an extension in the next year? No. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in, in Danny Abia's case, like let's say a team really wanted him. He's extension eligible next summer. Who yeah. really wants to deal with that right away? Yeah. No team wants to deal with that. So they want picks. And we can't trade a pick till, till 2028. So it just completely removes us from the discussion. Tommy could have as many conversations with him and I'm sure, and it's, it makes sense on his part. He has nothing else to do right now. So have those conversations, keep like, keep fishing, see what you could do. He always said, uses the word being op- opportunistic. So he should be opportunistic. That doesn't mean it's going to get anything done because Danny Ainge is not going to, to spite the Knicks. He's not going to go from taking six first round picks from them to taking a 2028 and 2030 first round pick from us. So it's just not going to happen. <laughs> I probably shouldn't admit this, um, at least publicly on a Wizards podcast as the host of a NBA themed podcast, but I'm largely an idiot when it comes to things like the Stepien rule and <laughs> when you can and can't trade picks. So um, the Wizards are trading a pick essentially next year's draft, 2023, and the rule is you can't trade a pick in back-to-back seasons, correct? So wouldn't the first one that'd be available for them to trade be 2025 at that point? It's because it's top 14 protected. Okay. And then it goes, I believe, to top 12 protected. It could stretch out till... It could stretch out till 2026. And then you need a year gap. Is that the deal? Yeah, I think it goes from, yeah, 23, 24, 25, 20. And then after three or four seasons, it becomes a multiple second round picks. Okay. 
So, yeah, so at that point, you could then trade the following pick from there. So if you had gotten rid of those protections and solidified it as a 2023 pick, then you would be able to trade 2025's pick, right? That's correct. You could then trade 2025. You could even trade 2023. And if you make the selection for the team, actually, yeah, you could trade a player. Like, let's say they get to that point next draft they draft and then trade the pick after making the selection themselves. They could do that, but it limits what they could do in, in terms of trading future picks, future, future draft capital. Okay. And that's why a lot of the conversation, I'll be honest, it's kind of like kind of lazy when you hear it out there. It's like, Hey, you know, just trade three first three. Like you can't do that. And teams aren't really looking for <laughs> draft picks a decade from now. They want to draft. They, they might not want draft picks in the immediate future. They might, they might be fine stretching it out to like 2027, 2028, but they're not, looking for a package of 2029 through 2033 draft picks that that's just not going to get anything done. So I think one of the, one of the arguments I've been making for a while is if the wizards ever do want to be in a conversation for a player like Donovan Mitchell, it requires taking a little step back and building up your draft capital as much as possible. So mm-hmm. again, one of the arguments, like you have a couple of players on expiring deals that yeah, sell that off some parts here, yeah. sell off some parts because and, and it's like, oh, you can't trade him. It's like, okay, then fine. Then don't, don't bitch and moan when we don't get a superstar. You know, like, don't tell me we can't trade Kuzma or we can't trade Barton and then simultaneously whine that we're not in a conversation for Donovan Mitchell or someone like that. That's why you end up in a conversation for another name we're probably going to discuss, like a Colin Sexton instead, you know? That's exactly where I wanted to go next. So professional segue <laughs> there. Uh, I think we might differ on this one. I actually don't mind the idea of them trying to get Colin Sexton. Now, I wouldn't like go overboard to do it. There's some generic reporting from some no-named non-blue checkmark source has said that they want a first-round pick and a young talent. To me, that would be a little too rich. Um, but you know, at a certain point, like if the price is low enough, I'm not against it. And it seems to fit the Tommy Shepard MO of like, this person is talented. They're the distressed asset. Can I get them and then recoup some value and maybe flip them again for a better asset? Like Tommy Shepard to me is like whatever that book is where the guy takes a paperclip and he trades it a million times until it ends up like a a house. Like, I think that's what he's just like trying to do slowly over the decade is like, all right, we started with all these bad contracts. Now, how do we eventually turn them into like slowly turn them into like a war chest of assets? Um, To me, Colin Sexton is, is not a... He's not without his flaws, right? But he right. would still be more talented than several of the guard options on this team, and and you figure out the fit later. Yeah, I don't. They're asking price for him. Obviously, no one met that. Otherwise, he would be on another team right now. So it's one of those things where that's not going to be what ultimately gets him moved. I think if he gets moved, I'm not the biggest Colin Sexton fan, but it it it, it depends how you look at him. Initially, the conversation. Like if we were talking a month ago before they had acquired Monte Morris or before even free agency, it would be, do I want Colin Sexton as my starting point guard? The answer is no. Yeah. I don't think he's a point guard. His, I think his assist to turnover ratio is either one to one or yeah, might even be negative. Yeah, yeah. It might be more like turnovers. Than assists. The yeah. yeah. And then there's that Kevin Love gift that everyone like video that everyone like where everyone always plays where like he's just so frustrated on the floor with Colin. So but there is a role where I think he's effective. He is an efficient scorer. Mm-hmm. So as a six man, can he be that like an efficient six man? Yes. Could I think. it be Dennis Schroeder from a couple of years ago? Like that yeah. kind of guy. Absolutely. I think he can. And that's so while I, 
I don't think we necessarily differ here, but it's just different levels. So Donovan, Donovan Mitchell is a different level. Now Colin Sexton is a different level. And that's kind of where Tommy Shepard and the Wizards have to shop. But if we do get him, I see the value in targeting a player like that because you could have Monte and Beal start. Who do you want to pair with, with DeLon Wright? You could, who's really a taller, quasi like super Sato type player, mm-hmm. a scoring, a smaller scoring guy who is point guard size might not be a terrible fit next to him. You know, he'll take some of the scoring pressure off the second unit. Um, so I could see the fit there. And frankly, why not? I think for me, it's our first five is going to be solid, but it's not enough to like blow these other teams in the East out of the water where we could like outshine some teams is our bench production. And I think that's part of what worked for them early last year too, is like you had Harold and stuff coming off the bench mm-hmm. is like these super subs and that works in the regular season. We've shown that like going 10 deep doesn't do you much good in the playoffs, but you know, there is some value to like over the course of a very long season, having a lot of depth. Now you still have to juggle that. They can't all play the same position. They can't all want the same role. Cause then you get into all the like off court stuff. But if, if you can have the convo with him of like, here is the role we were bringing you in for, and you're not giving up a lot to do it to me, yeah. that, that seems worthwhile. Yeah. I do think that the latest report is he's still seeking about 20 million a year, which I think would be a little too steep. Crazy. For me. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. But if you could get him if, in a sign and trade, it would have to be a two plus one deal. I think mm-hmm. at minimum to work out a sign and trade. Right. So if he's willing to do like a three for 40 with an opt-out after two, he gets some guaranteed money, he gets the ability to rehabilitate his value and then opt out again at a very young age. I think that can make sense for both sides. Or you overpay for one year, you know, like if you're willing to do that, um, maybe, maybe that's something for him to get a role enough to, to recoup some value. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we we talked about the locker room stuff and the fit of this and, and how that's been a little bit challenging the last two seasons. And, And one of the things I think you and I've both been on the same page about is having some former player experience on the bench is, is probably not a bad thing. Um, and, and that's kind of why I would have gone that way with the head coach, but obviously we didn't do that, but the wizards announced recently that uh, former NBA champion and Boston Celtic James Posey will be joining the coaching staff as an assistant coach. I like this. Um, you know, you've got a no nonsense defensive minded guy, who was happy to be a role player and made a good career and a lot of money out of being a role player. Um, so, so someone like that, I think can provide the perspective that some of these guys fundamentally need, like you need to buy into roles to win games. You need to be able to star in your role and you can still make a pretty healthy living. You need to be able to be bought in on things like defense. If you want to win a championship, like to me, this is just the right kind of voice. Uh, and I would like to hear more of people like that on the coaching staff. Yeah, I mean, I agree. He, I mean, he's played for he's he's been on champion. He's been on the Heat. He's been he's been on good teams. He's been on teams with the right culture, with the right kind of mindset that we'd want. He's been coaching, so he's not like new to this. Um, so I think he comes in with necessary experience, and he's also like young enough where current players should know who he is. Yeah, I've, I have heard of you. You're yes, not I, yeah. <laughs> right. So I think that helps, and a level of toughness, a level of you know, like I think that's all good. And he could get players to buy into specific roles. Like, look, he was a role player. He played defense. He did that. Like, he's probably a good model for like a Denny Avdia. Mm-hmm. He's probably a good teacher for a Rui on the defensive end. Yeah. He's like, hey, you could do this. You're 98th percentile at the rim and you're shooting 40% from three. If we could just add 10% more on defense, then you're a great player. 
you're a role player on a, on a, on a contender. If you don't, you're going to be who you are. And like someone a little, I don't know how old he is exactly, but someone who's recently been in the league who could have that discussion with him and explain to him how the league works and explain to the players that I think it's a valuable ad. I want to say he's early forties. I would have to check that. I think he, I seem to believe he's in like Larry's general, um, age group or range, which puts him, um, yeah, 45. So not, yeah, he's yeah. But but to your point, it's, it's not like where you have the JJ Reddick conversation about like how Dolph Shays was playing against plumbers. (laughs) Like you can easily YouTube James Posey and find him guarding Kobe Bryant, guarding Tracy McGrady, guarding all these players. And, um, you know, the, the film is not in black and white, so that's a little (laughs) more compelling. Can I say one JJ Reddick thing real quick? Please. Since Jerry West has gone back at him, he's kind of disappeared. Yeah, I haven't seen him on first take or anything. Since then. Maybe, maybe, maybe a little vacation after that. Maybe just some vacation. Maybe we're just getting a little too much, you know. Yeah. But I'm sure he'll be back soon, and I want to see how that one plays out. You just, yeah, you, once the logo shuts you down, you just let it go. Yeah. Um, for, for anybody who hasn't heard that, um, there's been a lot of commentary about the top 75 list, and uh, JJ Reddick's been very vocal that you know, someone like Kyrie Irving is considerably more talented than somebody like Dolph Shays. Well, um, yes, b- basketball is further along in 2020 than it was in 1954. So, um, <laughs> I think that's reasonable, but, uh, very recently people mentioned people like Jerry West and how he played against, you know, plumbers and firemen and all this other stuff. And it's like, well, I think that's pretty disrespectful to Jerry West personally. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I read enough old books and, and it, you know, it's funny to me, like you have all these older reporters now they're probably a little bit back in my day and that kind of thing like but you've got a bob ryan who's old enough to have seen jerry west and seen um you know again like Kyrie, and he's like yeah they're they're both super talented at different things they both were really good at the things that were successful in the league then um could Kyrie beat jerry west in one-on-one sure but that's it's you know it to me, it's like if they're saying, yes, these guys are as good and I saw both, like, I don't know why we don't put more stock in that. If you're a 14-year-old on Twitter and you're like, no, yeah, they would get dunked on, like, okay, maybe I get why you don't see that. <laughs> well, it's funny, like, even with the late Bill Russell, um, I was watching some of his highlights after the news came out and he's getting, taking balls off the glass and he's running full speed, not half speed. Yeah. And right. he was, for Dead everyone who doesn't know, he was a track star yeah. at some point. I think I was, I was reading that. So he was going on a dead sprint in between traffic, finishing, you know, finishing fat, like coast to coast. Whereas today, yes, you probably have more athletic players, or maybe not necessarily than him, but you have generally more athletic players. How many centers are doing that right now in the league? I mean, I'm not seeing JaVale McGee do that without, without tripping over himself at half court. No, sorry. You couldn't swap him out with Clint Capella and have won just as many rings for the Celtics, you know, like (laughs) offense to Clint, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's, they do different things. It doesn't mean that they were any less skilled. Like a Jerry West right. could could take a one dribble pull up from 15 feet over anybody and be like automatic at it. Yeah. It's like, you know, that that that's a skill. Like, yes, he couldn't <laughs> dribble between his legs 17 <laughs> times, but uh, or didn't do that. Um, but also they played with a ball that was like weirdly stitched together and maybe not even even. So like, um, let's give them a little break as they're playing in their, their um, you know, their flat, uh, they're real like flat sold converse high tops. <laughs> All right. That's enough of that. But yeah, let, let's go a little bit back into the time machine here. Uh, this is a funny uh, barb at our friends at the So Wizards podcast. But this episode of this podcast is going to be the Not So Wizards podcast. So we are going to focus on 
the moments in Wizards history this century that are actually positive. The things that we can like hang our hat on as these are like the best moments um, since, you know, the year 2000. So basically the, the bulk of their tenure as the Wizards, uh, just an easy place to truncate it. Um, you know, if something, if you had one that was in 1999, I'm not going to say we can't include it or something like that, but, you know, just try to make it kind of clean. Um, I've got five, you've got five. We have not compared these. I'm sure there's some overlap here, uh, but, but we can kind of go through here. So um, again, for anybody, these are the things that are like the high points for us as a fandom uh, this century. So Oz, why don't you start with what was your number one on your list? So I'm going to go with the... I have two moments from the series, but I'm going to go with the Gilbert Arenas game-winning jump shot at Chicago. Okay. That, that's a, that's an amazing one. I, I, I had that as number three on my list. Number three so. on your list. I, I just really like that one because I remember that the, the way that series started. We were down. Uh, we lost the first two games, and then we really played well games three and four, but we did not look good in Chicago, so I thought there was no chance they would win there. They had a big league, and then I think it was Gennaro Pargo went on like a huge run against mm-hmm. us. And it was driving me crazy, and I remember to the point where I had to leave. I didn't, I couldn't watch for a few minutes because I was getting so annoyed and so just like amped up that I just walked outside. I said, "Let me go shoot around for ten minutes." And when I came back, it was like Gilbert Arenas with the ball in his hands, like going for that shot. And I was like, I was, I went from like anger, just pure, just like anger and just like hating basketball to like game time we're going to the second round because i did, at that point i didn't think there was any chance we'd lose a home game and the bulls made it a game but they pulled it off yeah so i i had that whole 2005 playoffs as as my moment because it was just like it was the apex for me of like <laughs> how i felt about the team and it's like hope for the future so for anybody not remembering this one so the 2005 playoffs uh the wizards were the five seed the bulls were the four seed Bulls started off 2-0, and and the Wizards ended up winning the next four games to close out that series. Um, and in particular, in Game 5, my guy, Larry Hughes, who, again, I, I didn't just do a show with him, and it's not lip service. Like, Larry was, like, one of my favorite basketball players to watch. In that game, he had 33 points, 9 rebounds, 7 assists, and 3 steals. The Wizards ultimately won the game 112-110. to and I was like so hyped because like Larry was going to town, but like Gilbert was very much struggling that game. And he was five for 14 at that point until the final shot, the wizards are down one. And they actually caught, we, we talked about this on our podcast when we had Gilbert on. And I think a Thomas mentioned it in his episode too, but they actually called the final play for Larry for, for Gilbert to set it up and like get an open look for Larry to win the game. Cause he had been the hot hand and Gilbert mm-hmm. just said, nah, F it. I got Kirk Heinrich on me. I'm cooking this dude. <laughs> and he shoots a jumper to, to win the game. So a one twelve one ten win. And all I can remember thinking is like, yes, we are building toward this dynasty. <laughs> the next five years are just going to be like, I, mean, I don't know how many championships we'll win, but obviously yeah. that didn't quite play out. But at that moment, it's as high as I've been about the team. Oh, for sure. I mean, it was just such, it, we hadn't seen them in a playoff setting in such a long time mm-hmm. that when people complain now, yes, I completely get the complaints now, but you don't understand how long that dry spell yeah, was. It was real dark. So, I mean, it was, it stretched across decades. So to get to the playoffs, to win, to win a series, to game winner, national TV, it was just, it was awesome, you know? And they got curb stomped by the heat in the next round, right? Isn't that how that went? It was they the Shaq, had... Shaq, Dane, Dwayne Wade, um, yeah, series. and I remember I took a lot of I took a lot of shit from friends for it because they they basically printed out round two T-shirts 
Mm-hmm. Which is like they have such a great moment, yeah. and then they have to do something like that. No, we needed a banner for round yeah. two. Don't print out round two t-shirts. Just like just celebrate round two. You know. Yep, agreed. Uh, all right, number one on my list, as Tony Kornheiser likes to phrase it, John Wall, the hero of Game Six. Um, I know they didn't ultimately <laughs> win the series, but uh, th- this is the coolest moment I think I've been in the building for. Um, that whole playoffs, my wife, who is a wonderful human being, said like. Uh, all right, it's it's summer. Here's your early birthday present. We will go to all of the Wizards home playoff games, um, despite not being season ticket holder, holders during that time frame. And uh, I like we had good seats. Um, again, the Wizards won that game 92 to 91, uh, thanks to a late three by Wall. And Wall had started off the game one for 12 overall, and Beal was 0 for 7 from three. I was like, they're done. Like, they're not winning this game. <laughs> like, uh, Wall ultimately finished nine of 25 and was two of five from three. He had 26 points and eight assists. Beal finished 15 of 26 and one of eight from three for 33 points. And their entire bench had 13 points. So, like, this yeah. was a star studded Wall and Beal did it. Actually, Marquise Morris had a good game with 16 and 11, but uh, it, it was just one of those things where, like, I did like no, no, yes a lot of times. And when Wall took that jumper, I was like, oh, shit, we're we're done here until it went in and he's on the table. Uh, like, that's probably the most like uh, ape shit I've gone during a sporting event. Yeah, it was it was amazing. I was at every one of the home games um, except that one. Oh, dagger. So it was a dagger. But at the same time, like. It still drives me crazy to this day that they went six and zero at home in those playoffs and didn't make it to the third yeah. round, didn't make it to the conference finals. And I don't like, except for that game, I can't even recall if any of the other home games were competitive. Like they were blowing, they were blowing the opponent out. Like yeah, every time I, they came into the building, like they remember games would stay close, but they were in control. Like I remember the Hawks mm-hmm. series, they were up like ten. They always like just maintain like a ten point lead the entire game and then just put it away. But like, yeah, it was. Uh, there was definitely some regret when I didn't make it to that game. Yep. <laughs> but that was, yeah, I, I knew that was going to be high up there and that's pretty high up there for me. That's, I would, I think fourth on my list, okay. probably lower than it should be, but I think ultimately it's tainted because they lost the series. Yeah. I'm with you. I think that's, that's why maybe that's, and if I was there, it would probably be higher. <laughs> I, I, I think when you look at that series as a whole, it definitely belongs like lower on the list because they didn't actually pull it off. But like the theater of that one moment, and I don't want this to go the negative route because, yeah. Uh, but I, I do like want to point out that Kelly Olynyk was the Wizards killer in the <laughs> next game. And I saw him at Summer League the year later and he was standing in front of me and I was like, do you think I could get a shot in? Like, do it. Could I take a swing at Kelly Olynyk? He's a foot taller than me, but I still hate this son of a bitch. Um, you know, so that that was pretty dark. I was convinced that there was no way that they were going to lose that series after game six. Ultimately yeah. proved wrong again. But um, at the time, <laughs> I was riding pretty high. All right. Well, what's number two on your list? Number two on my list is is Jordan coming out of retirement. Ooh, very good. Um. So the, the Jordan I actually ex- stupidly did not put that on here anywhere. <laughs> um, and that that's such a good one. I mean, it, it is Jordan and it, it's all like a lot of it is like time has kind of eroded some of the stuff. So in the moment, that probably would have been number one, because yeah. how much higher can you get than Michael Jordan coming right. to your team? And at that point, I remember thinking, oh, Jordan's coming. We're going to win an NBA title. Right. But like then it quickly began to realize, I mean, he was still good. People yeah. still get on him, but he was still, especially that first year. 
I think they were 25 and 21. They had a five game winning streak going into the all-star break, mm -hmm. but he banged knees with Popeye Jones yep. in the very last game before the all-star break. And then he got hurt. I mean, he was probably hurt from that point on. Then he had to shut it down. That's really where number one, there wasn't enough talent on the team, but number two, um, that really set them back. I think they would have made the playoffs. They would have been, they would have been like with Jordan. They would have yeah, just been dangerous. a fun team to watch in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, but not getting enough talent around him mm -hmm. or the right talent around him. And then that injury after he banged knees with Popeye Jones really set it back. But the initial jolt of like, Hey, I mean, he was already in the organization. So it's not like he was foreign to foreign to the fans here, sure. like in terms of his presence here, but like he's playing and it's like, wow. <laughs> Seeing him in that Jersey, even now in pictures is like, I can't believe this is not a Photoshop. Yeah. You know, it just, it doesn't feel right. Uh, for anybody that hasn't read it, there is a book on MJ's real last dance called When Nothing Else Matters by Michael Leahy. He was at the Washington Post at the time about his two seasons in Washington. And it's like incredibly informative about like when Jordan knew his knees were destroyed and him actually overtraining to get back and like not willing to rest it despite. Um, so like even before he banged knees, the knees were bad. It was just like he was able to kind of like play through it if he never practiced. So uh, I'm I'm trying to convince my friend Matt Martucci, who is the voice of um, St. Joe's basketball, who does audiobook narration, to do that as a basketball audiobook because I I think that would get like a lot of really good listens, especially yeah. from from Wizards fans. Because um yeah, it's just it's it's wild to us that as a poverty franchise, mostly <laughs> the best player of all time actually did play here. Yeah, it's it's amazing when you think about it. Imagine if it was it happened during the Twitter era. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so my number two here is, is actually like basically a two week span. Uh, but there are two particular moments that stand out. And, and the first part of that is, uh, Gilbert arenas out dueling Kobe Bryant, like in a game, imagine a game where Kobe had 45 points, eight rebounds and 10 assists and saying like Gilbert was better <laughs> in that game. He had 60 points, eight rebounds and eight assists. Uh, and then five days later, um, he scored 54 points against the Phoenix Suns with Sean Marion, an elite defender guarding him for large stretches of that game. And again, two-time MVP Steve Nash had an amazing game. Uh, Nash had 42 points and 12 assists. And Gilbert was like, once again, the better player in that game. Yeah. Uh, and he hit like an off the glass banked in three-pointer in overtime with like 30 seconds left to win the game. So in a, in a seven game stretch, Gilbert had 60 points, 23 points, 30 points, 54 points, 31 points, 39 points, 36 points. Like that two week stretch is the most fun I have ever had rooting for a team. Like it just but you, have, do you have the games in front of you. Can I ask your question? Was the game winner at Seattle? I, I, Seattle? I do not have the full box scores in front of me. I just, I wrote down the point total. I remember but, there was like, yeah, there was a, like where he was hitting game winner after game winner. And he yeah. also had like drove to the basket, had a game winner at the supersonics. And I was, I was wondering if that was part of that time frame. you know, I, I don't know if it's in that particular seven game stretch, mm -hmm. but it yeah. was that like, like stretch of play where he was yeah. just like torching people. And, uh, you know, you can talk about like, who is the better wizard all time, but like to me, Gilbert at his absolute best, there has not been a better Wizards player in this time frame that we're talking about. Like Wall had a better long-term track record to me yeah. than Gilbert, but uh he was just like killing people by himself. <laughs> and and I will I will always remember that as a sportsman. No, no, I completely agree. I mean, I when you bring up Arenas now, 
Um, not now the per- now not now the commentator. That's a whole different discussion and yeah. whatever. But like as a player, like the argument is, oh well, he only won one playoff series in that three year stretch. Well, I mean that lacks a ton of context. Yeah. He won one playoff series. The second playoff series, um, he lost to LeBron in a series where I think he averaged like thirty three. He was unreal. He could you could easily say he was the best player in that yeah, series. He averaged like thirty three, like six and five, and he had like true shooting percentage over sixty percent. So it's not as though he did it like he missed those couple free throws. Sure. But he was great that series. And that was it for in terms of healthy playoffs. He did not play another healthy playoffs. He tore his meniscus before yep. he made all NBA that the next season, but he missed the playoffs that season because of the knee injury. So it's like, there's so much context lacking when it's like, Oh, well, why was the record only this? Well, it's because he tore his knee. I mean, that's why, you know, and, and he only played incredibly snake bitten health wise, like yeah. with those teams. Now you could say part of that is they lacked so much depth um, that those guys had such a heavy burden that it probably piled on some extra injuries, but like, yeah, you know, there are a lot of what ifs there of like, he stays healthy. Quran stays healthy. Um, you know, Jameson is at his peak for, for like some of those runs. Um, they, they were just, they were incredible. And, and to me, that's like the pinnacle of, of wizards fandom. Yeah. Uh, all right. Number three on your list. I was going to go with another. Um, it's going back and forth a little bit, like with what I place at number three. Uh, but I think where I would go, and this kind of encapsulates, I guess it would, it would uh, you know, there are individual moments, but I would just say the John Wall draft, winning mm-hmm. the lottery. I That's- think that has to be kind of it. I mean, yep. it's funny when you think about it, like, all, like if you look at John Wall's career, like you would never call him a bust. Mm-hmm. Would you say he lived up to all of his potential? I would say no. But he was. Sorry, go ahead. Bill Simmons always does his things where, like, if you played a player's career out ten times, was this the best version that you would have had in, in those ten things? For for me, that's not the case for Wall. Like, he could right. have been better in like so many different timelines, but he was still yeah. really good. He was. Yeah, that's the thing. He was still really good. He could have been better. I think they could have done better for him. None of it really. Like, they could have got a better coach. They could have got better teammates. Um, but he also could have done things better for himself. I think all, all those things I think are true to me at least. Um, but he was a five-time all-star and they had a sustained period of success with him where they were at least middle of the pack, uh, mm-hmm. in the Eastern conference in terms of playoffs and, and just a fun, a, a fun playoff team at the least, you know, um, he made them relevant and they exactly. took them from like the total pinnacle of irrelevance um prior to him being drafted yeah where i think he some of it still gnaws at me is and and ted referred to this ted leos has referred to this and i think i know he gets a lot takes a lot of shots but i think in this regard he was correct they did play the regular season like they were too cool for school yeah um and i think some beat writers who were covering the team at that time said basically echoed the same sentiment mm-hmm. that when they had a game the next day <laughs> players were not to be found the night before yep. so. So, I mean, that is what it is. Um, so some of that does know, but when he was drafted, I remember the whole talk at, at his draft or his lottery was like, Hey, if the, I think it was the Nets, if the Nets get him, they had just moved to Brooklyn. Maybe mm-hmm. if the Nets get him, maybe LeBron's going to go play with wall. I think that was a, one of the potential plot lines at that point. So it's like, we win the lottery, we get John wall. And I'm like, wow, we're, we're back. <laughs> after we needed luck, I was going to the draft hoping for like maybe Derek favors or Boogie cousins. And instead we came out with, with John wall and, you know, and then he didn't disappoint us in his 
home season opener. So uh, yeah, I think the, it just, it was, the era was good, but at least at that moment, it was again, another moment similar to the, to the Jordan kind of signing with the wizards where um, you thought things were going to change significantly for the better. And they did to a degree. Yeah. I mean, definitely like it, it, it didn't work out as well as we would have liked, but yeah, um, it was still really good considering where they came from. Like there's all the arenas drama right before that. Abe Poland just dies. You have a new owner. You don't really know what to expect because Ted had been kind of largely behind the scenes at that point. Um, you've got Mrs. Poland, you know, doing the draft lottery thing. And it, like they had the fifth best odds. So in, in order in that draft, it went Wall, Evan Turner, Derek Favors, Wesley Johnson, DeMarcus Cousins, Ekpe Udo, Greg Monroe, Al Farouk Aminu, Gordon Hayward, Paul George. Like, you know, Cousins, the career should probably should have been better if he just stayed healthy. Um, Gordon Hayward, same thing. Paul George is obviously really good, and he could have been even better if he stayed healthy. But, like, Wall, to me, is clearly the second best player in that draft. So, like, you know, your number one pick ended up being one of the two best players in the draft. Yeah. You, you did pretty good. But they had the fifth best odds going into that. And, and here's a quote I found um, from our friends at NBC Sports. Pulled this from Tommy Shepard at the time. Shepard said, I lived out in the sticks back then. I was driving home and I saw our church. I said, I'm just going to pull over here. I sat there the whole time. There was nobody in there, just me. And again, this is during the draft lottery. So this was after hours. I went to my local church, St. Mary's, lit candles and sat there and waited until after. I said, I'll know however my messages come up on my phone. So I was in the church praying. It was one of the few times where I said, I just cannot watch this. Like that's how bad this yeah. team needed luck in that. And just imagine yeah. if they get the number two pick and end up with Evan Turner, the last 10 years of Wizards basketball. Which is who they would have taken because 100%. they brought him in for a workout. Yep. So yeah. just, just picture how that, yeah. that whole thing plays out. Now, maybe they get lucky and they win the lottery again the next year, but that's not really the Wizards way. So, like, And I, and I don't think people really also appreciate, um, you have a lot of younger fans in the fan base too, how bad it got after gun gate yeah and and the knee problems and all that stuff like it was right the atmosphere at wizards games during the arena era was fantastic Mm -hmm. like a lot of people say oh it's not a basketball crowd even even during the wall era the the home crowds would be criticized until the playoffs i think in the playoffs they showed out but when gilbert is there if you go back and look at the highlights when he's hitting game winners those are weekday crowds the stadium is packed. Everyone's standing on their feet. They used to do a deal for college students where you could get an upper deck ticket and a Chipotle burrito for $17 yeah. for weekday home games. I was at like every weekday home yeah. game from 2006 to 2010 because it was just like an unreal deal. Yeah. So if you went there on a Wednesday night and they were playing the Bucks, who are not today's Bucks, right. it was a pretty lively arena. Yeah. And if you look back at the, I think that's when he hit the game winner walk away. That was a weekday crowd in the middle of the regular season. Like, mm-hmm. just go look back at how. So then once Gungate happened, like the snap of the finger, it ended. And I remember going to a game kind of right after that. And it was, I have never heard the arena more quiet, you know? So they needed a jolt and mm-hmm. like, you know, they got it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that's literally was probably best case scenario for them. Yeah. Uh, all right. That was number four on my list. Uh, so what was number four on your list? So number four goes back to what yours was. It was the it was the John Wall game winner game six. Okay, got it. So let me yeah. make a note of that so we can compare our two lists at the end. Wall game six. All right. And then the fifth one I had on my list uh, was the 2015 playoffs. The Wizards swept the Toronto Raptors 
that game four, like when the game ended, it was 125 to 94. I watched that at a bar with some friends. Like I just was in disbelief that they were actually closing the series out <laughs> and not letting someone back into it. And it was just one of those things like it was probably the highest I've been other than those other things we've mentioned because I was like, yeah, we're coming for Atlanta. Like the Hawks are about to get busted. And then obviously in the middle of game one, wall falls, breaks part of his hand or fractures multiple parts of his hand or whatever. But the minute that Toronto series ended, I was like, we are about to mess them Hawks up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously that and they did game one. like yeah. game one, they just yeah. took control. Yeah. Yep. And and that's a, that's another huge what if. Like if he stays healthy for that series, doesn't have to sit out game two. You know, even if he's 80%, like what does that series look like? Yeah. Uh all right. The last one on your list is Paul Pierce. Ah, I called game. I called game. So I called game, same playoffs that you're discussing about. And I remember when the wall injury happened, it was such a downer. Like and and they were up one nothing. They had like you know they lost game two with wall out, and it was more just like I remember just being like just angry, mm-hmm. like like angry, like like no, we're gonna win this game. I don't give I don't give a damn. Like what's yep. gonna happen? You know they're gonna win this game. They had a huge lead, and like the Hawks are coming back with um, oh my god, who's the guy? He's like a, a shooting a shooting big, a stretch five. Pero Antich. Yeah, he was one, and there was another guy, Mus- not Muscala. Was it Muscala? Yeah, Mike Muscala was on that team, I want to say. It could have been him, too. And I remember all these like, all these bench players are like leading them back. And I did the same thing, where it's like, it was the beginning of the fourth quarter. I was at the stadium, and I remember telling who I was with, I was like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Because I, like, I was like, I was hoping that I'd go to the bathroom, I'd come back, and they, the lead would still be this like 15 or stretch back out. Yeah, and i come back, and it's like under 10. And, and then they come all the way back. And I was just like, and then Pierce does what Pierce does, you know, Paul. So that was, I remember the arena going crazy. It was like, it was absolute madness. I mean, if, it's funny when you look back at the video now, you have that random kid running onto the, <laughs> running into the, running onto the floor too, celebrating with the team. It's just, it was, it was fun. And at that point you thought, okay, can they pull it off even with wall injured or at least hold like, does this give them a chance to win the series if Wall could get back in the next couple of games? They ended up losing that series 4 2. Is that right? They lost 4 2. Pierce, the ball was still in his hand in game six when he got the three that's right. shot off. Yep. Yeah. Uh, again, that's another what if moment of just yep. like, you know, a couple, a half a second there. Uh, all right. That that's Those are pretty good moments. And by the way, we should do another pod at some point in the summer of just like obscure Wizards killers. <laughs> You know, Kelly Olenek, Mike Muscala, Alfred Payton, Terrence Ross. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, that would be both masochistic, but funny. Because uh, yeah. there are some real random names um, on that one. Just a couple others real quick. Um, you know, a couple other folks had Pierce calling game. I didn't have that on my list, but I think that definitely belongs on there. Really good. Um, Jordan hitting a game winner over Sean Marion. Um, so juicy. Like, didn't that. he hit back to back game winners? I, I yeah, he had a couple in this. And then I remember here. him and Rip were doing the fist pump right yep. next to each other. There's like a picture of both of them doing it together. That picture belongs in like the top five of Wizards picture moments. <laughs> yeah. um, there's one of like Gary or of Gary, Larry and Gilbert both yeah. jumping and stealing the same pass at the same time, which is mm-hmm. like amazing to me. But yeah, the Rip MJ double fist pumps is epic. We're going to have to send that out with it. When you, when you post this, we're going to yeah. send that picture out with it. it it's so good. Um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, Davis uh, G. Gee, I don't know how you pronounce your last name. Sorry. Um, 
uh, mentioned Wall when he took down the Celtics after the young girl Maya that he had been um, with sadly passed away, and yeah. and and Wall balled out um, and and came back big in, in two overtimes. Uh, Gilbert Arenas's first couple um, buzzer beaters that made him, you know, agent zero, mm -hmm. uh, big runs on Boston in, in the semis, of the playoffs, um, you know, you, you, there's a couple on here like that. Uh, Bradley Beal, Justin Russett had Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook hitting those three pointers in less than four seconds, um, to beat the Brooklyn Nets 149 to 146 the other year. It doesn't have the same impact. But I was I was literally so hyped it was during like, that game. It was it was a fun moment, but yeah. like it was also we were way under. Like it's just sure. I think the moment. Yeah, it's I get it. I know it was I cool. It. Like it, it was, was cool. It was it was, it was cool. That, that's, actually, you know, that's what I would call it. It was a cool moment. Was it like? It wasn't like a top five. In my it, it didn't have the stakes of these other ones, but I, exactly. I think it is yeah. worth mentioning as an honorable mention yeah. here. Um, I had two uh, uh, two honorable mentions. Yeah, let me see if any of these are like um, one was the Jordan block on Ron Mercer. Oh, that's a good one. Um, because I remember that game was chippy. Like yeah. Jalen and MJ were getting it. Jalen Rose and Michael. Like Jonathan Bender getting into scraps with somebody or something. Yeah. There, there were, you like, got to a point like when Jordan pacers, did come so. back, they were like, yeah, there was, it was um, Al Harrington and Jermaine O'Neal. Every time we played them, they were just jawing a lot. And there was like, there were tense games. And I think we beat them when Jordan had 40 once against them. And then there was also, yeah, every time Jalen Rose went up against Jordan, he like acted like he had to prove something. And I think Jordan like fouled him and chipped his tooth. You know, I think he Good. was definitely angry, sent a message. And then when Mercer stole it or someone stole it from him and they came and had the double, double hand block, that was just like, it was just like out of pure anger. So that was, I thought, a fun one. The other one was like in that, um, the series that the Wizards beat the Bulls with yeah. uh, Arenas and Hughes. Game six was close. Yep. And after Heinrich stole it from Larry, didn't Gil come and pin the pin the uh, pin the shot off the backboard with like 30 seconds left? I remember him like I, I couldn't remember if he blocked it or he stole it back from him, but there was some. He stole it or he blocked it. I think yep. he blocked it. Now the funny part of this, funny, now if anyone wants to, just go back and look at the end of Game Six. I remember Gil got a steal or something like that at the very end. No, he got the rebound and he tried to do the Magic Johnson thing where he throws the ball up in the air yep. and run out the clock. I think there was actually still time left on the clock because Gil just literally threw it sideways out of the court versus throwing it up in the air and to re inbound it. <laughs> yeah. But like the confetti already went it up, went off and like the, you know, it was, everything happened so fast. The refs were probably like totally confused and just called game. I, I remember watching that. I was like, what did he do? <laughs> yeah. Could we still lose this? Um, yeah. I mean, we know how that worked out with another player uh, yeah. throwing the ball very high into the yep. air. Um, so, you know, uh, that, that could be in the worst five moments of Wizards fandom this century. Uh, the, the other one, Nick Kalinowski mentioned the Paul Pierce Drake beef during the Wizards Raptors series. Again, not on the scale of the other one, but it's just funny to me like, yeah. that we had some amount of like pop culture relevance. Um, yeah. And and Pierce brought a little bit of that with him, so I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, you also have Deshaun. If you think about it, you had Deshaun. Yeah. Did anyone like, mention that? You had Deshaun, no uh, Soldier Boy. Soldier Boy beef with uh, with the entire um, yeah. Cavs crew. That that's really good. <laughs> you could definitely put that as like a definite top five off court moment for sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. The last thing I want to do here, and then we'll get out of here. We can do these pretty quick. Again, staying positive. Um, Top three under the radar contributors or kind of un, unsung heroes um, from that same stretch of time. So these were guys that maybe didn't get the credit or like sneaky valuable, 
to the Wizards. And um, my list is Damone Brown, Anthony Peeler, and Smocky Walker. I'm just kidding. Uh, none of those names <laughs> appeal here. If you're too young to remember Damone Brown, um, just give him a Google because that's, I know we've had so many random dudes. It's amazing. Um, these are the non-stars. I think we just want to give a little love to. So Oz, I'm going to start us off with my first guy here, Antonio Daniels. Um, he played almost three seasons, you know, really three and some change with the Wizards. In 244 games, he only averaged eight points, two rebounds, and four assists, although only one uh, one turnover per game. But he was just like this va- like veteran steadying presence for a team that I think like desperately needed that. And we, we've had like all those kind of former arenas era players on, and they all said like Larry was the guy that like kept Gilbert in check. I feel like Daniels was just like an adult in the room um, for a team that needed it. But that year you mentioned that Arenas was hurt. Uh, Daniels was like really good and started 63 games for them and was like, didn't turn the ball over, played really good defense, got people the ball where they wanted it. They only won 43 games, but without Arenas that year, like that was actually like a pretty good achievement um, in 2008. Uh, what do you think about Daniels? Yeah, I mean, I'll, actually, uh, you know, I, I was, I was pretty fan. I think the one thing with Daniels, I didn't like, like his jump shot was just so he couldn't eh. shoot for shit. Yeah. Couldn't shoot. And then he would always end up on the ground. Yeah. Right. Like he, just, he would yeah. specialize in like throwing himself at, into the, into the mm-hmm. defender to draw the foul and like taking a hard foul. And Steve Buckhans would be like, Oh my, you know, <laughs> it would be better today. Like if you wouldn't, people just draw fouls for everything. Yeah. Um, and I didn't get all those calls then. I think kind of what you're referring to, like what he added is why, is kind of ties into my number one on the list. Okay. I don't know. Like, I kind of feel, I don't know if he necessarily belongs in the list because he was a better player. And I am not saying this because he was a, he's a co-host on this pod, <laughs> but I thought Larry Hughes's pet presence was, and you just referenced it was extremely underrated on this team. Yeah. I think because he got paid what he got paid and did not play that well in Cleveland. Yep. He's looked at differently. Agreed. And it's also one of those things where, where you and I've talked a lot about this. It's not always about, Talent is one thing, but it's also fit. Yeah. And and to a much lesser degree, we discussed this with like Sadoransky. Like no matter what, I'm confident that if Tomas Sadoransky played started next season, they would have a very good ORTG with him on the floor because he just knows how to play with Beal, for example. Um, much that that's to a much lesser degree, but I think Larry, like you said, kept um Gilbert Arenas in check. They replaced him with Deshaun Stevenson, who was actually a good player kind of like one of the few times where they were kind of ahead of the curve with like the three and D, mm-hmm. you know, but um, they missed that secondary ball handler yeah. and that secondary decision maker, because when Gil would go off the rails, Larry could kind of reel him back in on the court. And I'm guessing off the court, I'm, I don't know. It can't speak to that, but on the court for sure. Like when Gil would start going turnover heavy, it just gave them a second ball handler that could take some of that, um, team management or like kind of play management pressure off of him. And, but when Larry left, it became only Gil, yep. you know, and, and I think, I don't think that helped him. And I think they kept trying to replace that by adding an Antonio Daniels down the road, but I don't think they were ever able to replicate it. And I think that's evidenced by the fact that they actually tried, I think, to reacquire Larry on a couple of occasions from, from, I think when he was in Chicago, mm-hmm. it just didn't work out. And another, what if to me is they traded Kwame, Karan Butler. If they could have kept Larry and got Karan, that's a hell of a team. If you're basically taking that team that lost in the second round, you're adding Karan Butler to that team. That would have been, I think, pretty nice with Brendan Haywood up front. 
I think it could have been, it's not a title team, it's, but it's maybe a team that pushes for a conference it's, it's dangerous. finals. Yeah. It's a dangerous team. It's not a team that anyone really wants to face. And it still had some upside. Like if you had the right yeah. pieces around it or you draft a little better, you know, you don't take, yeah. I don't know. I don't want to throw anyone particular under the bus, but Jarvis Hayes or someone <laughs> like that. Instead. Uh, for anyone newer to, to the show here, uh, it's like two years old at this point, but we did like a 90 minute podcast with Gilbert. And he actually talked a lot about like, how that was bad for his career to have to have like primary offensive initiator responsibilities or sole offensive creator um, responsibilities where, you know, for anybody who doesn't remember Larry's game, like when he came to the wizards, he played point guard for them on the Jordan teams. And it was like him and Teron Lou sharing point guard duties, which is still kind of funny, but um, yeah, Gilbert had to go from like, shooting guard to point guard essentially and yeah and, you know you couldn't really trust Deshaun stevenson to put the ball on the floor he was sort of kcp ish um, finding that he was having a hard time always finding the balance yeah yeah Agreed. and and you could see kind of it strained a bit when it came to gill and Quran over time and i think larry could have been a good connector there yep um over time had he stayed yeah and then to your point the like the on-court stuff is huge. And all of these guys mentioned off-court, like it, there was no shitting in people's shoes while Larry was in the <laughs> locker room because he would just like, come on, Gil, like, what are you doing? So uh, right, uh, that's a great one. Um, the next one I had on my list, um, which first of all, sticking to, to your comment there, I would have had uh, Gortat on here. Like he was a perennial starter for multiple years. So I feel like he can't be like super underrated, but um, I- I'm like partial to the Iron Man guys. Like, um, Daniels played like almost 80 games. He played 80 games his first two seasons here. I love that. Gortat was like unbreakable for the Wizards. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that was huge. But the other one I had was Trevor Booker. Uh, he played from 2010 to 2014, only averaged like six and a half and five. Uh, but there was like that one playoff series against the Bulls um, in 2014 in, in round one where he was like actually really good. Um, so, you know, he... Uh, he was like a guy to me that just brought energy on a team that had a bunch of knuckleheads. So I, I always kind of valued Booker, I think maybe a little more than he got credit for. Yeah. He actually stepped his play up that playoff series. And I remember like, he just, and then didn't play at all against Indy in the next round somehow. Yeah. Like his athleticism, like it just, it just popped, you know what I mean? Yep. And like, and they were, I remember like he kind of had his, his coming up party. It was, it, it was against Kevin Love mm-hmm. where he basically jumped over him twice for like two putback slams. Yeah. I remember like coming out of Clemson, that was the whole thing. Like, Hey, look, you know, that was the first time we saw it. And it was, it was fun. Like he was, he was a fun player to have. It's, it was one of those guys that you wish kind of could have stuck around in a role for a little longer. There's um, that tweet about like guys could get in a room and just mention old sports players for hours and have a good time. Like that's kind of <laughs> what this is, but uh, who's the next guy on your list? Next guy on my list is Jared Jeffries. Oh, loved Jared. Um, I think, I, I think he was a little bit, when they drafted him, I think he was the Quran Butler one right before him. Yeah. And I know they wanted Butler. So it was kind of a little let down. Even I think that everyone remembers Butler because he, although they lost to Maryland, everyone was like, who the hell is this guy? Who's so good. Absolutely yeah. just destroying the Terps and, yep. and giving everyone like a panic attack that the Terps weren't going to go to the, you know, weren't going to win the title that year. But like he just stood out that game and, Everyone, I remember like leading into the draft, that's everyone wanted Butler and he went the pick right before. So I, yeah. there was a little sting. Jeffries did play against the Terps in the championship game. He just never turned into the scorer that I think people like his shot got really funky when he got to the NBA. Yeah. I don't know what happened with it, but 
he like when we were playing like uh, Cleveland in all those playoff series, he was the one assigned to LeBron. Mm -hmm. And when he wasn't getting kind of hosed by the refs, when when he was drawing charges, touching him anytime. Yeah. Yeah. He, he did a really good job. And I think his, his presence there is kind of like not a three and D, but just as a defensive wing, he was, he was a good player for them in that role. He was like the Jared Vanderbilt, you know, everyone likes a name like that now of like kind of yeah. like energy glue guy. He'd probably be more of a five in today's NBA than he is yeah. a three, but he played the three for us. But um, yeah, if he could have provided like anything else offensively, uh, he, he could have been, been a long-term player if he just, yeah, any offense at all. And that's a wild thing because he did show some offense at Indiana. It's like, where did that all go? Yep. Um, all right. My last one here, I'm kind of cheating and doing like a twofer. <laughs> I have Paul Pierce and Rasul Butler on that um, playoff team that ultimately that we talked about earlier that lost to Atlanta in the second round. They were like just like veteran leadership, um, very different ways of going about it and wing depth, a thing that the Wizards have like almost totally regarded disregarded since Uh, that team won 46 games. They could have won a second round playoff series if Wall stayed healthy. And I, I think they were underrated like um Pierce started 73 games that year, averaged 12 points, four rebounds, shot 39% from three. And they all talked about how he brought that like MF attitude. And Butler um, played 75 games, only averaged like eight points, but he shot 39% from three. And we've told the story on the show like a half dozen times at this point, but like he was the guy that basically spent every afternoon with Otto Porter, like teaching him how to shoot. Yeah. And like repping out jumpers, like just just that kind of stuff is so important. And it's a thing that this team has lacked almost since then. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I have, I mean, well, I should kind of touching on them real quick. Like you just saw guys cycle in at the wing and they just were productive. And I think, which was a testament to wall, mm-hmm. but I also think those two in particular provided a level of leadership that maybe other guys didn't. So like yeah. they, yes, they got other players in those players perform well, they got paid. But Pierce was teaching them, and I think he even said, like, hey, do you want to be good or do you want to be great? And Butler just, like, Butler has talked, like, I, I know he's passed away since then, right? Yeah, R.I.P. Russell Butler, yeah. yes. He, he has been talked about a lot since then, and he wasn't here that long, yeah, which speaks to years. me kind of the impact yeah. that he had when he was here. And, like, he was a good shooter, and like you said, like, he, every time, like, you True could professional. See, you could see what he taught Otto get translated into Otto's game, which is still being used, even though Otto can't move anywhere near like he did when he first got into the league because of a myriad of energy, injuries. The lessons he learned from there are still being implemented, like you being used in his game and why he could stay on the floor for a finals team right now. Uh, who's your last one on your list here? Last one on my list is, I don't know if he's too good to put on the list, but I was going to go Brendan Haywood. I think that's fair. You know, he was a guy that like, should he start? Should he come off the bench? Like when you're sort of like a, not a solidified core piece of a team, I I think like to me, Gortat was like, just like a little too good because he was good for too long. Yeah. I mean, Um, I look, Haywood was the only guy who played defense on that team. Yeah. And a real rim protector. I think because he was the only one who played defense and there was literally no defense played around him. He was blamed for some of the defensive woes like unfairly because without him, it would have been even so much worse. Now you had some of the nonsense, like between him and Eton, like immaturity, whatever at the same time, but he was always available. He was consistent in his role. Um, yeah. And like, 
Yeah, I mean, there was some entertaining stuff with him. Like he would just randomly get under some players' skins. I think Tyson Chandler was one in particular. Mm-hmm. Like he would and always they ended up teammates and Dallas with I teammates. Think. But it was funny. He always used to get in a fight with Tyson. Anytime we played the Bulls, him, Tyson, and Eddie. Yeah. I don't know what it was between the and Kwame, actually. Those mm-hmm. four just did not like each other. I honestly debated if you could put Kwame on this list. Like he yeah. was such a I'm not gonna use the B word, but he was underwhelming in terms of where he got drafted. But he was like actually kind of good by the end. And when he ended up on the Lakers, like he was like one of the better post defenders in the league, in my opinion. He just, yeah. I don't know if it was the tiny hands or whatever, but the offense just it didn't looked like the tiny hands because he could not hold the ball in <laughs> basketball at all. Um, I do want to give a shout out to one player, uh, James Singleton. Mm, loved, loved me some Singleton for one he, season or whatever. He it was, was look, he, I think it was two seasons, but it yeah. was always like they would stink. They would kind of gut the roster. They would bring him over and he would ball. And he was like, kind of like a stretch four. but for some reason they wouldn't keep him. Yeah. And it was like, why don't you keep this guy who makes threes plays defense and is like a modern day ish type player, but he would come over after the, Basically, after buyout, after trade deadline, he would come over from Europe, wherever he was playing, then he'd go back to Europe. I want to say he was in like the Philippines in like yeah. one of the years they brought him over. And it was just like, who is Jim Singleton? But uh, <laughs> I, I agree. I, he played hard. I mean, he arguably was better than Chris Singleton, uh, who they spent a lot of fringe lottery pick on. Um, we should do another one of these offseason pods, too, of just like favorite obscure wizards, like our guilty pleasure wizards. Um, yeah. I could put like Dominic McGuire on that list too. And I actually just liked how hard some of those. Um, oh yeah. yeah. One player will not put on the list and it's no offense to the guy, <laughs> but I never understood why Cartier Martin was always on the team. I loved Cartier Martin. <laughs> he, I don't know what he did. Well, it's just, maybe it's the name. I was it's, it's probably just the name, but I, I couldn't was feel so what partial to Cartier Martin. Um, <laughs> he hit like one good year. I don't know. Uh, let's save that for another one. I think okay. that could be really good. Um, Oz, any uh, final thoughts here before before we wrap up? I mean, we're like we're in the dog days now. Like, there's it's gonna be quiet. I guess Denny is going to be playing with the Israeli national team soon, so that'll yep. give us something to watch on the Wizards' end. And it will be interesting to see. I don't think you're gonna be able to take too much from it because his role on that team is gonna be entirely different mm-hmm. than what his role is gonna be on on this team. He's gonna be a three and D if he can make his threes on this team. Yep he's going to have a much larger role I'm assuming on the national team. So, but it is going to be interesting to see like kind of how like if he's, he's been in the gym, he's been like, do you see physical, do you see like hints of physical improvement? Do you see Mm -hmm. stronger finishing at the basket? Do you see kind of better form when he does shoot threes? So that's going to be something that's interesting to watch. Otherwise it's, it's like, you know, you're kind of coming off the summer league and the summer league was underwhelming after an off season that was underwhelming. So we're kind of just in wait and see mode. I'm guessing you'll still see, the wizards link to names that are still out there. Like the, they'll just work their way down the list and it wouldn't, it honestly would not shock me if a trade does happen, but it's not going to be for a Mitchell. It's not going to be for a KD. It might be for like a Colin or mm-hmm. even a tier below type, I think um, because they do have, and we've talked about this at now, so I don't want to stretch it too long, but you have, so you've just signed Beal. Uh, your top six are mostly your top six, five of the six are, are vets. Sure. Three of those vets have, are, are potentially free agents next year. And that just does not seem like a good model, but we'll see what they do. Yeah, I, I expect most of that movement to come at the deadline. I, I yeah. think that seems to be like Tommy's That seems move, to be but, when, he, when he goes, yeah. But th- there's 
there's going to be an opportunity for these guys to play themselves into a future here. And if not, I, I don't think they're probably all long for this team, but uh, I, you know, we, we can talk about that. I actually am higher on where they are than I've probably projected to folks. Um, so, so we can circle back on that a little closer to the season, what the real ceiling is and stuff like that. In the meantime, hopefully you guys found this entertaining. It was a nice trip down memory <laughs> road for me to, 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 to walk through these. So Oz, thank you for doing it. Um, folks, if you have any suggestions on other types of pods like this, you'd want to hear or just stuff we could talk through, um, feel free to send them our way as always rate review, subscribe. Uh, we were presented by betonline.ag and we will catch you next time. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.